we'd like to remind you that if you are experiencing symptoms of a heart attack, stroke, or any life-threatening medical emergency, please call 911. Please do not delay seeking treatment during the COVID-19 epidemic. Most Providence emergency rooms are open, and CDC-required safety measures are being taken to protect patients and hospital staff. If you are unsure of your symptoms, please use our telehealth services and speak with a healthcare professional that can better assess your symptoms and provide direction on the best course of action. Please do not let the worry of COVID-19 cause delay in seeking out treatment if you are experiencing a heart attack or stroke. Every minute treatment is delayed can be fatal. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into the future of health on Dash Radio during this coronavirus pandemic. We're lucky to have many experts around our COVID-19 topic and many guest hosts. Remember to visit coronavirus.providence.org for more information. Before we start, I want our listeners to know that the information provided during this program is for educational purposes only. Always consult a healthcare provider if you have any questions regarding a medical condition or treatment. Well, it's great to great to be here, and uh, what a what a great day to have our chief nursing officer with us. And as uh, I think, and I hope everyone in the country recognizes that today is National Nursing Day and National Nursing Week. And on top of that, there's an also an important anniversary, and I won't steal the thunder of my chief nursing officer, Deb Burton. So Deb, why don't, what, what's more important even more about this day than ever? Well, this is the World Health Organization International Year of the Nurse, recognizing the 200th birthday of Florence Nightingale, who founded our profession, essentially. Uh, we had an amazing schedule of events. We had world tours and so much we were going to do throughout the year. In January, we're locking down our plans and boom, everything changed. So we think this is a great way to celebrate that year, not quite how we expected. Well, you know, it goes without saying, and I think we'd be remiss if we didn't start out by how people are celebrating nursing. And if there's one thing everyone agrees, I'm going to say this as a physician, the one thing that we all agree on, our nurses are number one. Uh, It's been evident uh, in the public. uh, It's even through good times and bad, people always have recognized nurses as the person who's in their corner, but probably today more than ever. Um, so maybe a few words on what does nursing mean in, uh, in the era of COVID-19? Well, I'll tell you, this has been three months that I could not have been more proud to be a Providence nurse. As you know, we took the first case in the United States in Providence and we have felt it everywhere throughout our organization. The nurses of Providence have never whined. They have never backed away. They didn't just lean in, they dove in. And this is not just in the ICUs and the EDs and the med surge units, it's the OB nurses, it's the home health nurses, it's the ambulatory nurses, it's the nurse practitioners, all in with compassion and courage, which it takes both to do this work. Just amazing to me. And you know what's cool, Rod? They also lived the high reliability organization. They spoke up when things didn't feel safe to them. And I'm proud of that. And I I have to talk to you about that. At Providence St. Joseph Health, we kind of pride ourselves on things like transparency. And, you know, you mentioned high reliability. And one of the tenets of that is the ability to speak up when you don't think things are right. And I, you know, I've been a little bit surprised around the country uh, that some of that hasn't been promoted as much as it should. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and maybe, you know, why is it so important that, you know, the frontline people, particularly our nurses, amongst other, are able to be honest about what they see? 
Well, it's like what happened in COVID. If we're not protecting our caregivers and putting them at risk as they put their lives online to do what they need to do to care for their patients, it's a double whammy. They're putting their patients at risk and their colleagues at risk. And if they're not speaking up, then we haven't done our job protecting them. And that's totally. what I, I, I think the most frustrating thing for, for me and probably for you is um, with all the things that we did, we couldn't do enough. And, right. you know, and it's just so frustrating that the United States has been brought to its knees over gowns and gloves. I mean, mm -hmm. and it, it just, I, I don't know, I just shake my head how we could al have allowed that as a nation to happen without pointing fingers at anyone in particular. But that's the, you know, how do you go, you know, the, all the analogies of, you know, how do you go in to care for people without the right equipment? That's just, uh, it's kind of unconscionable. And, uh, you know, it's it's been something we've had to live with and hopefully it's getting better. Uh, I also worry a little bit, Deb, I wanted to ask you about uh, the stress on nursing in particular. And uh, how are we dealing with that? What are the things that you recommend? And I know we're doing some things to kind of deal with that. Well, first we are acknowledging where there is stress and there is a great deal, there's exhaustion and there's, we have nurses on quarantine right now. And right. so the first thing is making sure they have the behavioral health, mental health supports they need, which we have quite a compendium of resources as well. We have uh, put out all kinds of information about how to protect yourself coming to work and leaving work. And then I think we've done a magnificent job in training. In fact, our, our training videos and how to don and off PPE actually went to CDC because they were so good. So we haven't been perfect, but what I do know is we've been ahead of the rest of the country, both in supporting our caregivers and as well acquiring PPE to standard as fast as we could. Yeah, I, I have to say, I was very impressed. I'm glad you brought that up mm -hmm. at um, how professional and how smart our nurses have been mm -hmm. in terms of what's the proper standards. How do you put things, you know, a lot of us, we take it for granted. We've been in healthcare for a lot longer than both of us would admit, but just how, what is the proper way to don protect equipment? What does it mean? Why is it so important to do that and, and everything else? And a lot of our nurses have had a lot of experience. A lot of them I know have volunteered mm -hmm. when we had the Ebola breakouts in Africa and whatnot. So we also have a lot of great uh, experience with epidemics in the past amongst our nurses. That's true. And we have had caregivers from our own health system go to New York because, yeah. there were, you know, Lubbock, Texas wasn't hit as soon as other places in our ministry. And we've had many nurses go to help in the midst of all this, it's been quite extraordinary. Well, on this day, maybe what we could do for all of our listeners, if for Providence St. Joseph, if you could give us the profile of nursing sure. as it stands today, the how many's and, you know, some of those statistics would be helpful. Sure. So today we have about 39,500 nurses who give direct care. Um, these are the nurses who are in the more traditional caregiving role. Now, that's not in the hospital alone, obviously. It's in nursing homes, home health, ambulatory, like I say, all over the place. But as well, we have probably 3,500 to 4,000 nurses who are in, are in more what we call advanced roles. So these are nurse practitioners, nurse midwives, nurse anesthetists nurse scientists, clinical nurse specialists, nurse educators, taken together, it's somewhere between 42,000 and 44,000 nurses, depending on how you count. And um, wow. 
have some of the highest standards in the country. We do require a bachelor's degree in the hospital. We require graduate degrees for our nurse leaders. Uh, I'm very, very proud of the work we've done to create our own uh, pipeline of, of nurse specialists as staff nurses through our clinical academy. We now offer 26 different specialty tracks to standard across our whole system to maintain those, those standards that are so precious to us. Well, you know, you just point out what a what an incredible profile. When you were reeling off the different roles and responsibilities for nursing, it is it is the core of the health system by far. It's the largest constituency, but the diversity of the um, of our nursing and both in terms of what they do and who they are is really remarkable. Because I, uh, when I look across the breadth of Providence St. Joseph, there engaged at almost every level of everything that we do. You've been very active in education and nursing. And talk to me a little bit about what that's meant and what you've seen. And you've done a lot of work on virtual education, which is so important for busy nurses that want to take the next step and, and whatnot. So maybe if you could have, have, have us hear a little bit about that. Well, I, no secret that academia is a little bit behind in being nimble and thinking very far forward as we are as an organization. So traditional nursing education is not going to cut it to produce the size and scale and excellence of a nurse workforce that we need. So we've been doing a lot of work in distance education, simulation that enables us to really test clinical skills before the what few precious patients are in the hospital we can learn on or in the home. So if you think about, I don't know, 2030, you know as well as I do, hospitals aren't gonna look like they do now. Community-based care is not gonna look like it does now. And what happened to us over the three months we've been with COVID has taught us technology can keep people in their homes safely and there'll be a lot more of that, which means the nurse of the future, for the most part, is not gonna be the traditional medical surgical nurse in a hospital it's gonna be what we've kind of coined as the Uber nurse. That is the very highly skilled nurse who is out in his or her car in communities, going on rounds with technology, caring for patients with technology in their homes or in their communities and seeing them home by home where they need to. Different models. And, and Deb, yeah, Deb, as the primary care model is changing, um, isn't nursing becoming you know, a big part of that that whole movement and change and how it's getting done. We're seeing some of that during uh, this pandemic, but it's probably going to, you know, move us into the future. Uh, no question, because honestly, um, we need to have people receiving primary care at the level, or as we say, the top of the license of the person providing the, that care. It doesn't always need to be a physician. We must be using physicians to practice medicine and give their part of the primary care. But a lot of the primary care that goes on can be delivered by nurse practitioners, nurse midwives, and even staff nurses who are well-trained. You know, a lot of it is education. A lot of it is just routine screening, vaccination stuff that uh, we need to be reaching out more to, to people. And yes, nurses do a lot of that. If you look at the public health infrastructure in the United States, uh, it's mostly nurses. Right. And then as we move forward, there are a couple of, of, of areas, that I think, before we got on live that we were talking about that are really challenging, uh, both mm -hmm. for the country, for uh, individuals. But talk to me a little about extended care, long-term care, and what are your concerns and worries and, you know, the roles that nurses are, are serving there? Because that 
oftentimes doesn't get as much attention. Well, first of all, Rod, you know we're in this odd space of making sure we're doing the right thing in managing COVID as we get back to business as we somewhat used to know it, getting back to the urgent care that people need. But the reality is if you look across the country, the virus is hitting rural America later. It's also, as you well know, deeply affecting long-term care nursing homes and so forth, but we don't have enough testing though to know how bad it is. So I took a breath last week when I learned that we had our first positive COVID case on Kodiak Island in Alaska. Now think about it. That's a completely remote island. It has eight indigenous, very fragile Alaskan uh, populations. It's cut off from a, a anchorage often because of weather. And then you multiply that by the other 10 critical access hospitals we have in remote areas and a lot of community-based hospitals that are cut off from urban centers. Um, we can't forget that. Um, it doesn't take much to decimate the staff of a critical access hospital. If two people get the virus and four on quarantine, what are you going to do? So um, th those are the concerns that I have, but I am thrilled to see that our testing capability is turning enough that at least we'll know what we don't know very shortly. So what are some of the things that we're doing to help support some of our nurses, particularly at PSJH, in those remote settings, you know, because it seems as a system, what, you know, and I imagine you mm -hmm. have already figured some of this out, but, you know, where it's pretty fragile. Well, the biggest gift we got on the staffing side from the federal government was a forgiveness of the state-based licensure laws. What that means is I can practice nursing in any state in our health system during the COVID epidemic, which means we have centralized staffing for the health system through this event and have been able to move nurses around. So if we needed to move nurses to Kodiak Island, obviously first they would come from Anchorage and the rest of Alaska, but we have places in our health system where nurses can't afford to leave because the epidemic hasn't hit or it's already passed. And that's how we're going to support them. But we're also gonna use technology to make sure they have the expertise of experts their colleagues can help coach them through a COVID case if they've never experienced one. We do a lot of pay it forward in this organization, and that's how we work. Great. So, so Deb, we touched on it a little bit, but, um, you know, you're such a leader in nursing nationally. Um, we talk about it a lot. Um, nursing in the future as we go through it, what are your biggest predictions in terms of uh, what nursing will look like? Well, I think I kind of described to you what the role will be. I think as we really come to terms with what is what we call the clinical care team organize the patient around the patient look like. You know, today we're kind of clinician centric. People come to us. They come to our clinics. They come to our hospitals. They come to our EDs. We need to be organizing care across the continuum around what the patient needs. So they don't drive to the, the clinic and then they drive to the ED and then we don't have the records and then it's fragmented. So my vision yeah. is over time, we will support the patient over time, whatever that team needs to look like with nurses keeping it all together. You know, the other thing that struck me through this whole pandemic, uh, that, you know, now with not being able to have visitors, whether mm -hmm. it's in the nursing home or in the hospital, sometimes the person that's the glue there is the nurse. Right. And the role, and I've just heard some great stories about nursing at its best, where the patient and the family are, are forever reliant upon 
that mm. nurse to provide the, the touch, the, the caring for that patient who's in the ICU or in a critical situation. Maybe a little bit, you've probably have, have experienced that amongst our nurses and what they've done. Well, I will tell you, it is that dynamic that has caused the biggest stress and the biggest sense of at times helplessness. How do I be family for three patients in three different rooms when I have to put on, take off PPE in between them and I can't be there for them as much as I need to be. It's been very, very hard. But again, when those are kind of things that are wearing out nurses, I know they're doing the right thing and I know they're figuring out, but this is unprecedented that we have patients who have had to pass away with nothing more than an iPhone and a nurse sitting there. It's not right. And yet we've done it. I think nurses play such a critical role in end of life care and palliative care on any day, but more than ever. So it's really, um, it's really pointed that out. And I think, um, I know our nurses have been involved a lot, in, you know, with Dr. Bayok and looking at uh, end of life care, but maybe a little bit about that because I've been very impressed by some of the work that's been done there. Well, it, I think what this did is it made almost every nurse a palliative care nurse for a while as we sorted out, how do you care for these patients? I think some of the things that have been most profound for me, aside from symptom management and the compassion and the hope we have to provide, is what I've watched in the ICU. So one of the things we learned is when they get really bad ARDS, respiratory distress syndrome, they do better prone to on their abdomen. It takes five human beings to turn them to make sure that they are properly positioned um, you know, one's got the ventilator, one's got the IV pumps, one's got the head. It, it is just ridiculous what it takes to, and one nurse is always with the patient, making sure the patient understands what's happening because it's terrifying to be intubated with all this stuff. And suddenly you're told, and now we're going to turn you. Uh, these small stories have just been absolutely breathtaking to me. Nobody complains. And you know what? The doctors have helped just as much as the nurses. Everyone knows if this patient will survive, we're all in. We're all going to go in there, put on our donning, doffing, and whatever we need to do to turn the patient, make the patient comfortable, and, and understand what's happening. It takes a huge toll emotionally. On yeah. top of having to change your clothes all day, every day, and worry about contamination. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of our nurses, um, you know, they have their own families, and there's a lot of anxiety about what they are bringing home and then who's caring for their children and all of that. And I I know we've done some of the things to try to help take care of that, particularly childcare support, but maybe a little bit about that because it does speak to the day in the life of of the nurse. Yeah, that's, that's one of the hardest ones. How do you help nurses who are afraid to come back home after work or may have been exposed and have to choose between going and staying in a hotel to protect their family or going home with their family and possibly expose it. There was no right answer, but I'm proud of us for offering the childcare support that we have and for making sure that if there needed to be alternative housing, it was available. And beyond that, what we've done is taught everybody when you get home, here's how you take your scrubs and your shoes off in the garage. Here's the temperature. Mm-hmm. Of how you want. It's, it's ridiculous, but that's what we've had to do. And we've done it. Yeah, the other amazing story has been how nurses have come out of retirement mm-hmm. uh, to get a, get right back in there. And uh, maybe a little bit about that, uh, Deb, because that's been really something pretty amazing. Well, you know, we always say, 
you, you, you're born a nurse, you die a nurse. There's no such thing as when I retire, I'm not a nurse anymore. This was a no brainer. Thousands and thousands of retired nurses came back and said, what can I do? And we had criteria, we had competency assessments. It wasn't like we took everybody, um, but we took enough that it really took the heat off. And remember, just like physicians, these are the wise nurses who have seen it all. They've been through HIV, they've been through Ebola, they know what to do. And that's what you need. You need that senior wisdom as the young, younger nurses do more of the activities and the care. It's the senior nurses that really can help coach and take the load off a little bit with staffing. It was a miracle how fast they stepped up. It is. It really is. And I'm not going to ever get in the middle of which nurses are smarter because I've learned over my long career not to touch that one. Uh, but then the other thing is, you know, with this, what about what's your advice for people that want to go into nursing? And, you know, they're going to see all of this. And I think in a lot of ways, it's going to be whenever there's a crisis like this, I think people are going to sign up and want to be part of it. I think some of the frustration sometimes has been that people have wanted to go into nursing, but there's not enough slots or there's not enough this or that. And there almost seems to be this disconnect between people who want to go into nursing and our ability to absorb them into the health system. You know, but I think this is a good topic for you. Sure. Well, we're not going to have a, num a problem with finding positions for nurses. We're just going to keep hiring more and more to standard. That's, that's the part we're getting much better at. The part that's difficult is making sure people know what they're signing on. Some people, like me, decided they wanted to be a nurse when they were 16 years old. And that yeah. was the context where they made the decision. It doesn't just take brains and a propensity for sciences and all that. It takes compassion. It takes a lot of grit. It takes a lot of courage. Same with medicine. And if you don't have all of that, you probably aren't going to make it. And so we need to make sure we're going after the right folks. We're giving people a picture of what they're coming on for. But on the other hand, there's no profession on this planet with one license, you can go anywhere. In other words, if you are tired of working in the ICU in Portland, Oregon, in a blink of an eye, you can go back to our clinical academy, get specialized in something else and go work in pediatrics in Southern California. You don't have yeah. to go back to school. So the opportunities are absolutely absolutely limits, limitless. And, you know, the, the thing about that, you, you kind of reeled off a whole bunch of different opportunities. It's everything from research to, uh, you know, now, you know, clinical, clinical research and epidemiologic research and a whole bunch of different ways. And I think, you know, Deb, you've probably had five careers in your career, still mm -hmm. a nurse all the way through, but you've done different jobs along the way. And I think that's what a lot of people don't realize in medicine, both for doctors and nurses, that there are different types of opportunities oh that are God. out there. Yeah, I, I am so proud of the nurse scientists in this organization that just dove in on COVID, have coached us through just about every possible precaution, product we should be using, how we should care for these patients when there was no science whatsoever, for the most part. Um, so, yes. When, when you've decided it's time to leave the bedside, the care side in the home or whatever, um, you can teach, you can lead, you can be an administrator, you can be a finance person, you can just about do anything and be a nurse. I, I'm sure you know Cheryl Vaca, our vice, senior vice president for compliance and risk is a nurse. And it makes a difference in how she comes to the work. 
You know, uh, you know, there's been an age-old relationship between physicians and nurses. You and I have had one for at least eight or nine years. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's always a special relationship, I think. You know, there is a special relationship between uh, doctors and nurses. And I just want to conclude by saying on behalf of all the doctors, uh, particularly at Providence St. Joseph, but all doctors in general, uh, our salute to uh, our nurses, uh, how much we love and care for you. Um, all of us would admit from the time I was a green intern, I still remember the nurse that uh, that got me out of the fire there. So just uh, collectively on behalf of every doctor in particular, because we love and know what you guys do, uh, our thanks on this uh, nursing day, this nursing year, and this nursing week. And thank you, Deb, for everything. Everything you do. Well, thank you, Rod. Your support and your advocacy have been absolutely perfect all the way through. I know you know nursing to the core. We've had many conversations, and I've never doubted that you didn't have my back when we held to high standards, and that's what's made the difference. So thank you. Great, Deb. Thanks again. <music>